This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us here in the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and we come to you from our Weatherworks headquarters located in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me on the podcast, as always, is my crafty co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Hello there, Mike. Hey, Brad. Crafty, though? Crafty. Does that mean like crafty as in I'm making crafts like new little decorations for the Christmas tree? Or does that mean I was thinking more along the lines of craft beer? Oh, 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 oh I see I like that a lot. A curveball there. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite craft beer choice, Brad? Go for it. Uh, I do like a stout, you know, not all the time, but, you know, it's it's a nice, uh, nice change. How about a you like a bourbon barrel aged stout? Uh, I've had that with you before. <laughs> yes, I do actually. Very good. Yeah, I like those too. I also like those uh, good double IPAs. But anyway, let's stop talking about craft beers. That's for I sure. Um, but uh, hey, we got a good show today for sure. We have the CEO of SIMA, which is the Snow and Ice Management Association. That's what SIMA stands for. His name is Martin Torado. Um, but before we get to Martin, you know. I, you know, we could talk a little bit about what SIMA is. You know, they work on some snow and ice uh, training in that field and, and also education in that industry with snow removal. But, I mean, Brad, I'm not the guy to talk to. <laughs> well, you've been to a few of the seminars and things like that, but uh, yeah. Oh, of course. You know, we as WeatherWorks, we go to the SIMA uh, Symposium every year. Um, we meet a lot of snow and ice contractors that are in the, in, in the industry. It's a great show. We love going to it every year. Um, I think it's been, I don't even know how many years I've been going to it, but Hey, let's bring in Martin, um, because he can explain to us a little bit more. Yeah. Let's go right to the source. Yeah. Hey, Martin, how you doing? Hey, good. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me guys. Hey, Martin, let's tell us what Sima is, um, what, what are you guys doing? What's the goal of the organization? What's going on? Yeah, so um, it's you know, going well, but I uh, just want to add on to your initial conversation. I'm also an IPA and every <laughs> once in a while an Imperial or double IPA. But nice. um, over Thanksgiving weekend, I think I might have had a couple too many of the double IPAs. Whoa. And the uh, <laughs> ABV on those gets a little crazy on you if you're not careful. Yeah. So I'm trying to they, tone it back just to a regular <laughs> IPA. But. They, they will sneak up on you, you know, especially... <laughs> You know, with all that turkey you have on Thanksgiving and a du- couple double IPAs, man, you're probably uh, out on the couch pretty quick. Yeah, that'll be <laughs> in, right, exactly. Yeah, no, so I'm here in, um, you know, beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin. As you can tell from my uh, my Wisconsin-based accent, you guys don't have that, thankfully, from, on your behalf. The East Coast sounds much better. Um, but, yeah, we're the, um, you know, we're the trade association for the really the private snowplow contractor and snow uh, professional manager. We have members throughout the United States and Canada. We have um, uh, just short of uh, 2,000 member companies or about 1,800 member companies. Most of them are you know, the, the contractor, the private contractor that um, you know, does snow and ice management from everything from you know, uh, retail lots, um, retail centers to medical complexes to shipping warehouse facilities, office, um, homeowner associations. Really, we kind of talk about it's, it's really everything except roads and highways. That's Department of Public Works or Department of Transportation people that do that. Anything that's outside of a street road, highway, that's what our members um, 
uh, perform Stone Ice services on. And yeah, just kind of think of our membership base, of course, is anywhere that it's, you know, it's cold in North America. So it's like, um, um, you know, middle mid-Atlantic states or southern mid-Atlantic and then north. And we have a you know, 15% or so of our members are in Canada as well, too. But we're, we're highly concentrated, again, in probably the metropolitan areas, as you can kind of understand. We just have more members in places like, uh, well, you know, New Jersey, particularly northern New Jersey or, you know, Philadelphia in the east and then New England and um, uh, Detroit, Michigan area. Um, and then, you know, Chicago, Milwaukee, Midwest, uh, Minneapolis. So, and then, you know, some parts of the, of the west as well, too, particularly the mountain mountain areas they get someplace someplace of course they get a lot of snowfall so yeah that's the general background of kind of who we are and kind of what we do is um it's you know not, not to read off no one likes to have the mission and vision read off just because that sounds really boring doesn't it yeah, <laughs> so like, we always <laughs> talk go ahead no yeah we always talk about just success we're here to help um, the professionals and the companies succeed. What do they need to succeed? And that's like business success, personal growth and success. And that comes through education, resources, training. And those are the, the things that are, you know, our, our core focus. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, just being at the shows in the past, I mean, a lot of the, uh, the seminars and, and, the, and the talks that you guys have, you know, it's not only snow and ice related and, and that technical aspect but sometimes it's, you know, like you said, the personal growth thing. We sat in on a nice uh, motivational uh, seminar um, um, just in Cleveland, um, and the guy had a real nice talk. I forget what his name was, but, man, he had a real good motivational talk about how to, you know, you know keep your goals straight and priorities and going forward and how to keep moving forward. And I thought it was a really great talk. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, that's part of it, too, is, you know, in, in this sector is a lot of of people that have run their business pretty well or some exceptionally well. And sometimes they get to a point where it's like kind of what's next and they need to kind of have that next level, you know, business, business tools and tips. It's more than just them and a few of their, uh, you know, a few employees they've grown from that. And they kind of, you know, need to, so we, we provide training on, you know, business growth, financial management, um, HR, legal, really kind of the full gamut of how to, um, you know, how to, manage a and a business um and how to grow that business and how to use your you know network and resources and and um, stay engaged in your local community of course and all that and then of course there is a, you know the operation side of it of course is like how to be more efficient and more effective we do a lot of that as well too how how did Sima come together i mean i mean did it start as a small group did it you know and how far back are we going here uh, we're actually this next year we're hitting our 25th anniversary. The the Snow and Ice Symposium in, in 2022 will be 25, so we're excited. The Silver Anniversary, um, and uh, yeah, we, it was started actually with a group of contractors that um, I believe there was there were seven of them that met in Erie, Pennsylvania, 25 years ago, and they had predominantly been involved in. Um, uh, the uh, what's now the National Association of Landscaping Professionals. So they had some engagement in what um, a professional association could do and the benefits of it. But there was a, uh, an organization that was specific to the snow and ice sector. And I think that group of people, the founding members, were um, really kind of focused on, hey, you know, historically snow and ice is just something that people did as a 
something to keep themselves busy and make some revenue in the winter time. It was it was fastly becoming uh, professionalized and particularly um, I would say I call them you know high impact or high value customers or properties. I'd say like hospitals and medical clinics, those type, you know, warehouses that need to be open 24 hours for shipping and trucking. They need, you know, high level 24-7 services. And as that industry was professionalized, I said, hey, we, we need to have professionals, better trained professionals in the field. So um, uh, to do this work, so let's, you know, start the association. And, um, you know, a lot of people are kind of, you know, know that we're found one of our founders that was in uh, John Allen. Um, he's one of the founders. He held it in, at his, at his home. Um, and then he kind of grew a, a company that, you know, got pretty significant. There were um, several other of the founders who are still actually with, um, with Saima and members today, you know, Rick here and Charles Glossop, uh, Jeff Tovar, and there's even one or two others, but that's how it kind of grew from there. Yeah. I was going to say a few of them are actually clients at Weatherworks, uh, John Crandall and uh, Chris Marino. Um, we do contact them during the winter time as well for uh, our not only our alerts but our heads ups. Yeah, those two are currently on our board of directors now. Yeah, I mean uh, that's the great thing about the show when we go out there, we get to see a lot of our clients, not just prospective clients, but you know, you know, we get to meet everybody and they they give us feedback on how their services are going, and you know, that gives us you know the motivation to how we can improve our services that we're providing for them uh, from the weather and forecasting side. So, you know, it's a, it's a great show all around. Um, but Martin, how you talked about how it got started. So how did you get yourself <laughs> into yeah. the organization? Um, I don't know what your background was, you know, before you got into SIMA, uh, but let's, let's hear a little bit about that. I wandered in the door one day and said, "Hey, what's what's that? This seems kind of intriguing here. <laughs> what's going cool, on, guys? Yeah, right. Yeah, this is, looks like a, this, this seems legit. What, <laughs> what do you guys got going on? I can probably help you out with a few things, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, generally, I've been in from you know my entire career after graduating from college um, was I've been in organizational management. You know, I always kind of say that for better or for worse. I've been <laughs> managing different you know uh, professional and trade organizations. I was when I first uh, got out of college, my idea was I'm going to be an urban planner, city planner. But then I was kind of like, you know, I decided I wanted to delay graduate school to do that because I would need to get a master's degree. And so then, um, so I started working for a community development organization here in the city of Milwaukee. And it kind of just grew from there. Um, after a short stint there, I went to an, an, an uh, an or a, a company where we did multiple organization and association management. So our, our niche and specialty was managing um, associations that probably couldn't have their own full-time staff. So I, I worked on four or five different associations in all different fields. Um, so it gave me kind of the wide range of, of different background and experience. I thought that was, was useful. And then, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually signed was only their, their second executive director CEO. So, uh, when this position opened up, um, you know, I applied for it, and through a, a an interesting and fairly rigorous interview process, I was I was uh, given the opportunity, and it's been it's been great. I've loved it. I, um, you may see the same thing. I kind of you know I really enjoy and love working with the people who are in this field. Really, um, you know, salt of the earth, performing essential services. I think it's great. And you know, I, I don't. It's probably from what you know you guys are 
you know, doing with, with your educational purposes. But I think there's been a real advancement in the snow and ice industry over the last couple of years. I mean, I used to be, um, I used to plow snow back before I was hired at Weatherworks. Now this is going before 2008. Um, and you know, I know at that point, like it was just kind of very bare bones, you know, Hey, let's plow some stuff. Let's throw some salt. But now, you know, we have contractors getting involved with, uh, you know, liquid de-icers and stuff like that, you know, for pre-treatments and, and, you know, it, it's just gone a long way from, from where I remember it being now I worked with a small company. So maybe that was the, the difference there too, but. Um, you know, it's probably in large part for what your organization is doing. Well, yeah, we, we hope to think that we have a, a part in that. And I certainly think actually, you know, you, you touched on is like the manufacturing side of it. You know, manufacturers have created better, more efficient, stronger equipment, even different tools, like again, like liquid de-icing, um, you know, brine makers, those have really kind of been an emerging, uh, tool to have in the toolbox when it comes to fighting snow and ice, um, so it, yeah, you know, kind of going back to one of our so our founding members, they they had even had the idea of of what does a professional certification look like. They even they started talking about the what, what then became the certified snow professional um, certification. We've developed others, you know, since then. We also have the now the advanced snow manager, which is more for the operations senior operations managers. Um, but getting that certification kind of comes from. You know, the, the founding members saying, Hey, you know what? We, we think that there's people that need to have these, this core knowledge, skills and abilities to perform in the field. And, and there's, you know, a studying and a curriculum to go through and ultimately a test to pass that kind of maintains that certification or obtains the certification. So, um, yeah, there's no doubt it's becoming more, uh, like you said, more professionalized. I think, you know, as, as time passes, um, you even want to get into too is like is you know documentation. There's so much out there now of more for software and technology on the documentation side. You know live you know live feeds on services performed. Um, you know it's it's one of the requirements that are in some of the the standards. One of the one of the ANSI standards that we have um, is to have a, some kind of a documentation. And it really wasn't that long ago you're talking about hey documentation. Let's make sure that every every truck and the driver the operator has a clipboard with a couple of pencils or a pen and a stack of paper and you write down the dates times location where you're at and now it's there's so much more that again like it's live fed through through gps through apps um uh, cameras all sorts of and there's a number of players in the field that offer some really nice um, uh, features in that regard you, you know, and, and it brings me to a, a, a thing that I've, I don't know why, it just intrigues me to no end. And I don't know where other states do this, and I'm sure they do, but here in Pennsylvania, where I live, um, each each DOT salt truck or plow truck, they show the roots of like where they're at and where they're supposed to go and things like that, I guess, when they're doing during a storm and I just think that and, and that's something I never have seen you know beforehand you know a couple of years ago but I guess with the you know the technology today and GPS like you were saying Martin it's just it's just intriguing I don't know it, do you have that up where you're at in, in uh, Michigan and Wisconsin that area uh yeah I mean I, I personally don't follow but yeah they definitely have that um that type of technology plus you gotta think about the uh, I think what the mailbox is saved over the years from, <laughs> yeah, that's true too. the street and <laughs> 
<laughs> street and village road side of it. You can really actually, hey, I can you can track the trucks and the operators down to what road we you know what road specifically they were on. But uh, yeah, all joking aside, that does help with things like you know the, the reality is yeah that it's heavy equipment on concrete and in curbs and on lawns, and that's part of what you know uh, then um you know re- repair you know, postseason repair kind of comes into play in that regard. Yeah. I've, I've hit some gnarly things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all those snow sticks are, are like the, aren't those snow sticks? Like, see now, now I, I gotta, I gotta tell you a little bit of my past here. I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up in New Jersey, but I moved to South Carolina in the middle of my life and lived down there until uh, just about five years ago. And I'll tell you when I came back up to the Northeast and now they got like snow sticks and things where I guess you put in the ground where, you know, you don't want plows to hit. I thought that was like a, an invention that was who somebody could have thought about that 40 years ago, but no one did. Yeah, I don't know the history of snow stakes. We should have the uh, I know there's usually a guy there uh, at the show that has uh, is manufacturing the snow stakes. I remember meeting them <laughs> last year. And it's, it's one of those things that you go, go, you can go buy in like November and, and a lot of stores are usually out of them by then because they're just, it's like, I think it's a cool, you know, invention as, as simple as it is. It saves probably like we we're just talking about damage from uh, plows and things like that during the season. And some contractors who developed the snow stake and you probably get dozens of them. Like I remember being, you know, my grandfather, my father, years ago, they put something in, and that was the like first time. Like the umbrella time. toothpick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But from the educational aspect, bringing it back to the SIMO organization, you know, uh, having those, you know, able to get your CSP and your ASM and stuff like that, I mean, that that's just great. I mean, we have the same sort of stuff in the meteorology field where you can get certified in certain areas of study, like um, our CEO, Frank Lombardo, has a, a, a CCM, which is a certified consulting meteorologist, um, you know, for what he does there. And that, you know, gives just that much more professionalism and credibility to to what he's done in the past with his forensic work and and and, and with his uh, his legal things that he's worked on. Um, from slip and fall accidents and things, you know, and then we have the broadcast certifications too. And Brad, I know you might have a little bit of knowledge of that. So, you know, it, there's kind of similarities in the field. We all have certifications. And now that the snow and ice industry has these certifications, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, going to earn your credits and take your courses at, at, at some of your SIMA shows. I mean, I think it's yeah. great. Yeah, plus we talk about the impact to the end user. So what's the impact to the property management company and the owners of properties and facilities? And we always take a look at that as like it's um you know, our members are able to tell a story more than just I'm just performing a basic service. It's I'm able to tell you a story on kind of the background that I have, the experience that that myself and the company has. Here's the safety training that we we've gone through. This is the the, you know, the route optimization, how we're going to engineer, um, you know, a, a complex site, meaning engineering, meaning like, where are you stacking the snow? Where are you pushing it? Where are the priority areas? Like, again, the priorities in high traffic, where you have high foot traffic, where do you maybe have high um, uh, you know, vehicular traffic? 
So they can basically they can tell a much better story, and what that does is it, it, it instills trust and instills confidence to the 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 end user, the the property facility manager. It's it's peace of mind, and that's really kind of developing that strong business to business relationship. And that's kind of what our you know what our members have is like we're, we're developing B two B relationships with um. Uh, with what we do, you know, essential services, and then the, the properties that we do those services on. Martin, I know I, I mentioned the symposium a few times yeah. already, um, but, you know, hey, we've all been affected in some way or another by, you know, the recent pandemic here. And I know that you guys did a great job, you know, trying to adjust to that pandemic. So, Take us through that a little bit. What was that like? I mean, you had, you know, things planned, ready to go, and then, you know, everything shuts down, and then okay, now what do you do? So let's 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 hear a little about about how you changed and adjusted. Yeah, it's funny how kind of silly you look looking back at it now. Because I remember it was uh, March of 2020, and we were like talking, we're like, well, this looks like a China to Northern Italy issue. We don't have any attendees from there. This is going to be just fine. Nothing's going to change. So <laughs> you look back at that now, it's like, boy, you were, and then here was our first, and the, the next point of that's like, no, this is going to have an impact. Let's move the snow and ice symposium from June to August. And we'll, this is going to probably going to blow over by mid July of 2020. Well, <laughs> we kind of know the story of how that all, you know, but hindsight's always 2020s. Um, so, right. <laughs> so it, it so put it this way, it was a challenge. I mean, I, most people are familiar, you know, conferences and trade shows are a big revenue driver for organizations and not just us. Um, all the others and in professional and trade associations were all impacted by it. And, um, and we, we, we made some changes pretty quick. And I do think there's some things that are longer term that will help us. And the, you know, the changes we did pretty quick is, you know, year one was we held a virtual uh, symposium had really still had some really good speakers, great attendance on participating in ed- that education. And that was really from a kind of a forced scenario. Almost every, every conference center, hotel that they, they canceling, they were canceling for safety reasons. They were canceling all events and meetings. Couldn't typically local, local rules and regulations precluded any groups from meeting at all. Um, then we kind of thought once we kind of got through that, we were like, well, this, this next year, which would have been this past summer, we're like, Let's try to stay away from having the one big event where we have 2,000 people together because that may not be there's, um, you know, the, where it was going to be held at Cleveland, Ohio at the time. They had a pretty strict limit of, I think it was 250 attendees that could be held in one, you know, one building at a time. It's like, so that's not going to work with the number of attendees we have. So let's kind of spread it out. And we, we turned actually Cleveland into a, like an A and a B event. So there was kind of education that went for the entire week. Some people attended the first part of the week, then another group attended the second half. And then we held a, um, more of a regionalized, uh, snow and ice symposium. One was in Minneapolis, the other one in Philadelphia. And, and, um, they worked out great. We had a, you know, nice participation from all well, Weatherworks and our other suppliers, uh, were really kind of, were there and, I, I will say after over a year of people kind of not being able to attend conferences and meetings, people just love being back together. And that's, I mean, you were kind of talking earlier in your discussion about like your experiences at the symposium, the show is like, it's just getting people out of their day to day. You spend three days with 
people that are in the same field and industry have the same challenges, same opportunities that you have. And just it's the collaboration of ideas and exchanging of, of, of information that, you know, the relationships that just kind of perpetuate themselves and, you know, kind of create, you know, lifelong value. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I personally love going to the shows. I mean, I like talking with our clients and, and new clients. I mean, it, it's really a great time. And I saw that exact same thing this year. I was at the Cleveland show. Um, <clears throat> and I saw that same thing where it's just seemed like people were so happy, you yeah. know, just to get yeah. out there yeah. and like, Hey, let's go to a trade show. Like, like almost like here's the event we always used to go to. And let's kind of normalize things a little bit by going to this show. And they were just, you know, they were, you know, so happy just to talk, just stop to talk to someone. It didn't even matter who it was. <laughs> it seems exactly. Like, you know, right. you know. Sometimes in the in the past, you know, maybe it's a little bit awkward. You know, you're trying to almost sell your services to certain people, but you know, but this time it was more like you know, just like how you doing? You know, how how's it going? <laughs> talk you to know? me, please. Tell me something about your business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you let's know. get a group together and have lunch or coffee or something simple like that. You know, yeah. it's more than just you know, a couple of people from your office. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It was a good time. And then the ale trail starts and then, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps getting better. It just doesn't end. Yeah. For those who don't know, I'm, yeah, I was going to say, well, what is this ale trail that you speak of, Mike? Oh, I, it's, it's uh, something that uh, the symposium holds where they have, uh, they have an ale trail where you get a card and there's, uh, I think, four different oh, destinations there within the trade show floor you're supposed to go to. And, and you get, you know, a drink there, you get a beer. And then, you you know, if you hit all four of them, you know, you just complete your card and <laughs> you can say, yay. <laughs> and you crawl back to your room. So, right. No. <laughs> yeah. no. We give but, you a sticker uh, for your shirt that highlights you as an ale trail Specialist, but yeah, we try to we try to feature breweries too from the local area. Some we said it for Milwaukee too. We'll have some, hopefully have some good beer here. And there's there's plenty of those here, like a lot of other cities. So yeah, yeah, I know. Um, when I went to the Grand Rapids show, that was a nice uh, area there for sure. I, I really yeah. liked Grand La- Grand Rapids, the city, and uh, you know, I hate to keep talking about beers and things <laughs> but um you know there was a lot of great breweries nearby um which was which is just good to you know meet people and and, and have a good time um yeah. but uh hey milwaukee show that's in your own mm-hmm. backyard so you must have something special planned for this 25th anniversary thing right yeah, definitely. I'm not going to give away all the surprises, but oh. yeah, our hometown, <laughs> 25th anniversary. So this the silver anniversary, it's going to be you know, fantastic. I, I do think, again, there's a, just a ton of pent up demand for people to be, again, back together, especially at one large conference and event. It's going to be uh, June 21st to the 24th um, of of next year in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, like you said. And, you know, I'd encourage any, anyone listening um, that would have never been to uh, the symposium that, uh, you know, come join us. I think you're, you'll realize that everyone that attends that we're, we're here to help each other. You know, we're only going to get better by, you know, helping each other out and making, you know, professionalism. It's, can you raise, the more you raise the bottom 
part, everything kind of goes up even higher when it comes to, you know, professionalism and complying with best practices. And so um, I will say this is like for Milwaukee is there's no lack of special event reception locations around the convention center and hotel district. So there's going to be plenty of places there um, that people will be able to go and enjoy a cold beverage and some really good Milwaukee-based food, including a, um, a reception we plan on having just out in the, the Deer District, which is the um, outside of Pfizer Forum, which is now home to the current uh, NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks. We're planning on having a big reception out there. I think that's going to be absolutely phenomenal event. And um, and our, our education team is, is already working diligently to put together just a, a, a diverse array of different topics, speakers, and institutional programming. Let's say you got the Brewers there too. I don't know if they'll be in town that week, but there's nothing wrong with a good baseball game in the middle of the summertime. Oh, oh, gosh. The smell of brats in yeah. the air, yeah. fresh cut grass, crowds cheering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I got to ask, if I go to Milwaukee show next year, um, you're talking about food and stuff like that. Where do I got to go? Like, what's the food I need to get in Milwaukee? Oh, gosh. I, we actually, I recommend people going to, we have really good kind of locally owned or independent owned farm to table restaurants. There's a lot of those kind of all in, in the area where our convention center will be in. And if that are very short um, ride to, I would definitely encourage people at some point get down to what's called the third ward. Great restaurants down there. Um, otherwise, you kind of want to go more traditional. There's a few of these around too. The kind of the German, the traditional German Milwaukee heritage. There's a couple of those right um, right in Milwaukee as well too. So make sure that you have some some German meats. You know your 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 brats and your knackwurst and whatever kind of worsts that you. Uh, <laughs> you, you know that's what I'm talking about because <laughs> yeah. I, I'm. I'm part Austrian, so I'm real close to Germany there, and uh, also Ukrainian, so I'm in right from that area uh, over in Europe. So um, you'll be right in, the, right in the middle of some really good traditional German places that you'll enjoy. Exactly, you have the, the you know nice. the breads and the you know the cabbage, and you wash that down with a good German beer. Oh gosh, man, jeez! <laughs> You're making me just, hungry. I already had I know, lunch. Right? <laughs> I'm ready to go. I mean, it's like 2.40. Yeah, geez, it's a long time <laughs> to get the dinner here. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll certainly uh, see if I can visit the third ward. Uh, I'll have to put a bug in uh, Kevin Hoppler's ear, our, uh, our VP of sales here, and uh, see if we can get him uh, to go down that area. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, from here – I think we talked a lot about Simon, the organization and what it does for the snow and ice industry. Um, so I'm hoping a lot of our clients got a lot of good detail from that, but, um, Martin, I mean, Hey, you're talking to the weather guys right now. So (laughs) what kind of questions do you have for us? I'm sure you have something, right? Yeah. What do you got for us? Yeah. Well, one thing, you know, just quickly to touch on is like for, for some reason, like, how we diversified if you can't attend in person, you know, it's like you're you just whatever reason can't get away is I do think, you know, the, the pandemic has helped us to, to offer more virtually more people have taken advantage of virtual education. ASM is entirely a learn at your own pace. Take 
Um, take some quizzes after each segment on your own. We have a liquids training program that's entirely virtual. So that's kind of the benefit too, is like, can you do when, if you're, if there's restrictions where you can't travel to in-person events is take, take advantage of the virtual education resources and documents that you can. But, um, to get out of that though, you're right. I did more of it. There's the, um, you know, in front of a, a mic giving the, uh, an evangelist for Sima perspective is well, as for whether you know, I you know, listen to your, your podcast. I was really interested more in kind of like, you know, La Nina, some of the La Nina effect and how that's going to affect weather, winter weather. And it's like, okay, so La Nina tells me that it's going to be colder in Northern climates, but warmer in Southern climates. And this is kind of more what I get from like, I tell this to people, it's family members or friends or even other contractors. Like, hey, what have you heard from this winter? It's like, well, La Nina. And they're like, you know, okay, so I tell them, I explain that. And they're like, well, what determines the dividing line of north where it's going to be colder than average and south warmer than average? And it's like, hey, is that is that Canada? So everyone else to be warm? Or are you, are you down to like, you know, uh, Kentucky or Tennessee is the, and everything north of there is going to be cold. So I don't know. What, what can you enlighten us on on that? Well, I think, Brad, I'll, I'll just take the first part of this and That's then fine. maybe you can go ahead with some more. But I think first off, you know, just what is La Nina? Why is it important, right? You know, because you hear it all the time, El Nino, La Nina. Well, what the heck is this stuff anyway? And why is it important? So basically, La Nina is when you have cooler than normal waters in the Central Pacific. And El Nino is when you have warmer than water, warmer than average waters in the Central Pacific. And you're thinking, well, it's in the Pacific. Why do I care? I'm in the United States. You know, that's way, that's really far from me. But it does have an effect on the jet stream, which basically controls our pattern uh, across North America. Um, so, you know, when you have the El Nino in place, you get this um, southern jet stream or subtropical jet stream that's supplying a lot of moisture um, to the southern portion of the United States, and then it becomes a little bit, um, a little bit warmer, maybe a little bit drier, you know, further north with that because, um, you know, that that's basically what the pattern is kind of delivering, you know, with that, you know, moisture coming out of the jet stream. But, um, you know, on the La Nina pattern, it's kind of a little bit different, where you get your jet stream coming across um, portions of Southern Alaska dipping in through the central midsection of the country and into the East. So, um, that's a little bit drier across the Southern portion of the United States, uh, a little bit wetter when you get back towards the Ohio Valley in the Midwest. Um, that's the kind of pattern that sets up cold shots coming to Northern portions of, um, North America, you know, and, and that's kind of how we have a setup going on with those things. So, La Nina and El Nino are always talked about because it's kind of like the baseline pattern. You know, that's the biggest driver of the weather pattern in the wintertime. So that's why it's so important. We have to kind of use that as a base of where we're going to start with the pattern, where we're going to go with this winter outlook or wherever it might be. You know, then from there, we start talking about more local impacts or maybe something across the poles, maybe 
something called blocking that happens over Greenland or the negative NAO or North Atlantic Oscillation you may think of. Um, some of our weather weenies out there may think of that. Yeah. Um, and that kind of backs up the pattern and uh, you know can create big storms along the east coast of the United States. So um, there's a lot of more, a lot more smaller uh, things that we have to look at. And Brad, I know you have one too. You know that comes into play a lot. And, and the one thing, just to just to talk about what Mike was uh, referring to, you know, everything's connected across the globe. Uh, you know, both southern and northern hemisphere. Uh, on top of that, I mean, granted, you know, you have one season versus the other on either side of the globe, or at least you know, northern and southern hemisphere. But um, you know, they're they're all they they all move around the globe at different directions and things like that and that's what mike was talking about kind of drives everything and you know then when you get involved with the you know like mike was saying the negative nao we get blocking around greenland and what that does is it creates more buckles in the uh jet stream which is what you want if you want storminess and cold air you know you just don't want uh, west to east kind of moving air all winter long because then you'll never get any good cold air. So you want the buckling and you want the, the storm systems to develop. And, you know, a lot of times here in the east, we look at the southeastern ridge and how strong it's going to be in the uh, wintertime. You know, it's basically the same thing in the summer, the Bermuda High. You know, in, in the summer, it's a lot stronger versus the winter. And then we just kind of watch it shift east and west. And same thing kind of in the, in the winter, you know, it, it may it may shift a little further west than normal. And that may have an impact on northeastern and eastern uh, weather. Now, Martin, where you're at in the Midwest, a lot of times where if it's warm here in the Northeast or along the East Coast, that usually puts the storm track somewhere in the Midwest if it's cold out West. So usually that that troughiness in the West and a ridge in the East puts that jet stream kind of right through your area. So, you know, maybe that's more of a stormy uh, setup for the Midwest and Chicago and Milwaukee and things like that versus where, you know, maybe if we're in the trough on the Northeastern side of the U.S., uh, you may be more on the ridgy side then. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, middle of the road for both, you know, areas. It's just, uh, you know, usually if the west though is cold, then usually Midwest and east is warm or at least uh, warmer, a lot warmer than, than the west and vice versa. But, you know, then you start hearing about the buzzwords, polar vortex, and I'm sure everyone loves that one. And, you know, oh, the polar, when's the polar vortex going to be in my backyard? So. I'm sure you could hear that, and, and I'm sure a lot of folks around Simon talk about that kind of stuff too. I mean, like, what's what's the you know what goes on when you guys talk about the weather? I mean, you guys t- talk about the forecast, or is this what I'm hearing, or my weather service is telling me that. I mean, do you guys, I, I guess, just talk about all this stuff? Yeah, I mean, that does, those conversations all kind of c- come up. I I say like our members kind of feel like they're you know kind of hobbyist uh, meteorologists in some ways because you know, they follow it really closely because they have to. So, yeah, I mean, the thing I would say, you're talking about, you know, troughs, ridges, and buckling you know, is also like an agricultural field in some ways. So I don't know that's kind of, I hear those terms, but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, that, that's good to know. Good, great information. Yeah, I got to see what you're, you're, you're saying was like, particularly Ohio Valley to Midwest, if there's going to be more precipitation, there could be some big storms based if there winter storms, if the temperatures get to, um, to a certain point. And uh, that's always the, the, you know, the freezing point of, you know, uh, of temperatures that determine whether, you know, sometimes it's like you have an ice storm or something that turns into rain to a six inch plus snowstorm that has heavy lake effect. You know, I've seen kind of some of that too. Yeah. And that's why, you know, when you're saying about, well, where's this line going to be, you know, where's the cold air going to be versus the warm air, you know, it, it's, you know, 
it's hard to say exactly where because, you know, first of all, we're projecting out a long period of time, you know, so saying exactly where that demarcation line is going to be, you know, four months in advance um, is pretty hard to do. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, but that's what's tough because you have not only, you know, the overall pattern, but then you have, you know, these storm systems moving through constantly. So that line is always going to be shifting. So when we do our, our long range outlooks, we're trying to find like, like a happy, like medium where, okay, this is where it's, should typically be based on what we're seeing across the globe um, so that we have at least a general sense that, okay, it's going to be colder in the, in the North central portion of the country. And, you know, we're going to have the jet stream riding along the Eastern seaboard. Um, so there might be more fluctuations over there, you know? So, you know, so that's why it's really hard to say like, okay, where's this line? this imaginary line that we want to, we all want to know what it is. We all want to know (laughs) that we're going to get a big storm with two feet of snow on, you know, January 15th. Like, (laughs) believe me, if we could do that, we would absolutely 100%. Um, But, you know, from that perspective, you know, we're looking at the entire pattern. So we see things that, you know, are becoming more favorable for a large storm, you know, in the, in the pattern as a whole. So it's not that we can say that's exactly when a storm's going to happen, but we can say that, Hey, things look more favorable as we get towards, you know, the first half of January or something, you know, whatever it may be. So that's the kind of stuff we can say. And, you know, those little, you know, track differences that are going to make the difference between rain and snow or sleet and ice, you know, that thing has to wait until we get a lot closer. <laughs> so what's one of your most memorable storms then out there, Martin? Oh, yeah, I remember some years ago there was, it was like, um, yeah, Boston had this, um, that storm they had that kind of goes back maybe seven to eight years ago was we had gotten so much snow year after, I mean, week after week that it was almost like. Oh, this is when you were in New England, right? Yeah. Well, this there was one about, I don't know, 15 plus years ago or so in Milwaukee where it was, you're walking the sidewalk, the, the, you're almost walking in between barriers. It was like the snow was piled up to your shoulders and was like, even shoveling became really tricky and how much you had to like lift up and get it on top of that. It was, that was crazy. That was one of the more probably more memorable years. We're looking back at that year. And I think that one hit close to like the 90 inch winter when our average here is actually um, uh, around 40 inches a year. So we're, we're kind of more known for like definitely snow, but like cold weather hitting some really below zero temperatures. But yeah, I remember, remember that, and it gets to be, you know, driving is a definitely a, a safety issue because when you do some of these, like the boulevards, you tend to take turns. You can't see around some of these snow piles. Um, it kind of sort of turns into, you know, in our sector, a lot of hauling, um, hauling off site of snow to get it off, of, you know, properties just run out of space to have them at. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, out of our Midwest forecasters, we we have a certain phenomena that happens out there. Um, we we like to call it Midwest. <laughs> uh, <Yes. okay. laughs> I've heard that. 
what this is is it's it's just funny because it seems like every little tiny disturbance uh seems to push out some flurries and snow showers um when you're in a cold pattern i mean is that something that you see all the time out there uh, you see flurries like almost every other day um because it seems to be that way at times you see that definitely in the the northern half of the state up in the upper peninsula michigan the lake superior kind of stuff um my wife is up from close to that area it's like like every day oh yeah it feels like you wake up in the morning it's like oh there's some flurries coming out again <laughs> um i would say by more of the milwaukee area and um and probably chicago probably feels this too it's, we definitely have some more of that lake effect where it's like um it's sunny and clear on one part of the city and the other side of the city's looks like it's a, you know, a torrential, I mean, there's a blizzard coming down, they get four to six inches. So um, there's some oddities like that out there where. Yeah. But uh, yeah, sure. I mean, that's, that's certainly something that can happen out there. And we, we do hear that a lot. Um, you know, when we talk to clients about how, you know, uh, you know, these little bit of elevations make a whole lot of difference, you know, when it comes to, you know, what type of weather they're seeing. And that is true, um, especially early on this season. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, basically what I was talking about is just that, um, you know, it seems like if you're in a cold pattern out there in the Midwest, uh, any little disturbance that you get that rides through the upper atmosphere seems to push out some flurries or snow showers or things like that. Basically, you know, Iowa, southern Wisconsin, you know, through portions of Illinois, maybe into Indiana, you know, it, it seems like <laughs> it's, it's like somebody... I don't know, uh, just spit in the air and, <laughs> or, or, or exhaled. And, you know, all of a sudden you have flurries getting pushed out. Um, so it's pretty crazy. Um, I'll pay attention a little closer to that this yeah. winter. And if it comes up, like it's, it's Midwesting. Yeah, there it's you go. Midwesting out here that's, now. That's, that's a total official term. You're right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll appear so much more sophisticated to my family once I throw that out a couple of times. We're like, wow, this guy is just on fire now. He just yeah, yeah, he's talking about him. Midwesting. What is that? I never heard that before. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, the guys at Weatherworks, man, they, they right. know all about it, you know, yeah. the, the term that we coined, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, but uh, Martin, uh, I mean, before we wrap up, I mean, any last minute questions for us here at Weatherworks? No, I was. Uh, thanks for having me, and you know, thanks for the support over the years, of course, from Weatherworks. And you know, Frank Lombardo goes back to some of those first symposiums we had, so we greatly appreciate that. And we, um, the uh, the offers open when we see you in Milwaukee here. Um, let me know; we will find a, a local craft um, nice. brewery, and uh, we'll do some indoctrination into uh, what what good craft Milwaukee beers are like. And there's definitely plenty of stouts too when you want to. Go down the, the stout road. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember hearing something about Shotskis. Oh, oh yeah, I've seen yeah. those before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're in this. They're around. They're in certain places in the city. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, uh, I, I'm interested, maybe, but uh, maybe not too much because I don't want to go crazy. But uh, um, but yeah, I mean, Martin. Hey, thanks a lot. Uh, for coming on the, our podcast here, the Weather Lounge. I mean, I think it was really great. I think a lot of our a lot of our clients here uh, and anybody in the snow and ice industry will will love to hear this episode all about Simon. And you know, maybe they'll take more of an interest in the organization. 
um, after they hear this. So you're welcome. I appreciate it. Well, that's about it guys for the weather lounge. And again, uh, we'll have a new episode every two weeks. So please come back and visit us and listen on your favorite place to find your podcast. And also make sure to visit weatherworksinc.com. Uh, and also any of our social media, um, just search for weatherworks and you'll find us there. But until, uh, the next episode, I hope you enjoyed this one and we'll see you next time.